right, everyone. Welcome back to the Lojo Show. Today is just a special episode here. We're going to go a little bit into the Uber hack. One of the things and why it took a little while for us to go ahead and, and, and do this show was because with any hack and with any hack of a global world-renowned organization like Uber, you have several tiers of, of reporting and several tiers of criticism as well as the call for accountability that's out there. And really, we wanted to take a little bit of a different dive into this. So Uber was hacked. We you know, saw that it was a possibly an 18-year-old uh, that did this particular hack. Uh, in, in particular, it, it really is more so a data breach, and it was a social engineering uh, exercise or so from his end uh, that allowed him to have access to uh, Slack source code, um, as well as even financial data and information at Uber. Um, and the other part is, is that it's been a, reported that this uh, attack was possibly affiliated with uh, lapses. My understanding is that this uh, this particular individual has been arrested. Um, Basically, Lapsus uh, has members that are mostly teenagers um, and you know, have recently targeted several technology companies, large technology companies out there. So here's how the, this really breaks down. You know, right now, the company is still investigating because one, they got to figure out what is really the full blast radius of this uh, particular breach, right? Where it comes to the customer data, it comes to source code, uh, also, you know, even the future, um, you know, future mitigations and stuff of this. Uh, one of the really, you know, lightning pieces here is that this really was possibly a social engineering exercise where uh, Uber, who has contractors as well, um, one of the contractors was uh, uh, was was compromised or was able to, you know, gave away basically uh, some of their um, credentials and login credentials and, you know, access and control credentials, and that's what's being used. So I think one of the biggest stories here is, hey, Uber is a technically, you know, sound company. They have plenty of technology and capability uh, to do what's necessary. This is not their first breach. Uh, they had a breach in 2016. Um, and you see that actually the leader of their security program and stuff back then is still on trial uh, at this point uh, regarding you know, them not reporting that and basically you know, paying a $100,000 bounty from that and not doing any type of reporting. Um, but you know, even though it seems like that's boiled down to, let's say, one person that's in litigation right now, this is really one of the uh, biggest issues when it comes to security across the board in an organization. Uh, it is not just one person that has the ability to really integrate a full-out security program. It takes really a team. It takes a C-suite. It takes also the ability to finance uh, both the training for the people, the equipping with the technology, as well as the integration of that technology, the operation of it, and really the continuing diligence that comes along with that. That's in getting your third-party reviews and third-party assessments. And then after those assessments are done, uh, being able to apply budget in order to fix the holes and fix the capabilities that are there. Now, I don't know what uh, the current status is from Uber as far as on their third-party assessments, as well as maybe that they have 
a, uh, a fishing campaign or so that they use to help both identify where they were weak from an employee education standpoint, as well as to uh, help in, you know, uh, both framing and curtailing employee behavior or contractor behavior um, when it came, when it comes to uh, the security of their credentials. So it's not just a simple, oh, Uber didn't have enough security. That's a, that's a really simple and horrible statement to make, right? Um, what I see is a lot of those who maybe do not have an in-depth understanding or idea of an organization the size of Uber, um, on as well as even the complexity of Uber, uh, to say that, hey, you were compromised by one teenager. That's a simple way to say that. Uh, truth of the matter is, yeah, that's possibly what happened. But the other case is this, is that they are a large organization. If there's one thing that's true about large technical organizations out there is that you have a 100% rate that these global companies, these global tech companies and stuff have been breached. It's going to happen. You can put in whatever you want. Technology-wise, you can put in whatever you want in the design of what you do from a security standpoint, you can do whatever you want from there, but because of the size and the amount of people, you still have that human element. So at the end, we're imperfect people. You're gonna have imperfect people in your organization. And that is going to be where a lot of your critical risks lie is with your people and the behavior that's there. Here's the reality. We talk a lot about China, we talk a lot about um, state um, state actors, you know, in this industry. We've talked a lot about this on this podcast as well. But those are not the only ones that are out there who are trying to do damage or who are trying to breach the information that you have. In some cases, maybe they're not doing it for malicious reasons. Maybe they're just doing it for fun. That's even more scary. But the acceptance of C-suites and even you know areas of regulatory and compliance have to accept that you're being targeted every day. Every day you're being targeted. I, I often think of the, the you know, I, I live in Florida here. Um, so Florida and Texas have a problem with uh, feral pigs, right? And uh, wild hogs and stuff too that uh, root up and damage crops and uh, root up entire areas can destroy uh, both vegetation and other wildlife uh, environments and stuff too, right? And just the vast number of them and the complication how fast they can reproduce becomes a problem. So you can hunt them for sport, for fun, or for necessity, but they continue to grow. They continue to reproduce. And that is the same way that we have to look at um, uh, 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 that we have to look at bad actors, right? That it is a constant expansion. The more and more you get youth and stuff within this industry, or not even within the industry, youth that's sitting at the fringes and learning and understanding on how to do these things, as far as being able to compromise an entire organization through its people, through its technology lapses in their process, well, then the more you're going to be targeted. And one of the things I see right now is that you just have this huge call for more regulation, more regulation, more regulation, more regulation, right? Um, 
regulation is a good thing, but the other part to regulation is that, um, yeah, you can go out and you can do audits and you can do assessments of these organizations, but vastly what we find is that the auditors and the assessors in these situations typically have a lack of understanding of the full orchestration of the technology, of what it is that can be compromised, of human behavioral practices within our organization, right? Um, so you can have these assessments. Uber's been assessed before, right? They, they, they've done third-party assessments. For them to operate where they operate, for them to operate globally, they go through assessments for security. It's not like the government or anybody else is just blind to what they're doing. They're, they're a publicly traded organization. A publicly traded organization. So yeah, there are regulations that they've had to meet. There are services and stuff too that they've had to register and also continue to show compliance in, right? So when you say, let's regulate some more, let's regulate, we need to force these companies to do this, that, and the other. Well, one is, how do you do it? Two is, what's gonna pay or who's gonna pay for that enforcement of that regulation? And three, who, who has the background, depth of knowledge, and capability to do that is going to do that for what they're going to pay an assessor to, 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 do, uh, to, to do. Not many. Not many. So it's easy to say, let's put more regulation. Let's put more bounds on them. Let's, let's document how they should do this. They should be applying these types of controls and stuff within there. You can apply controls until your face turns blue, or if you're like me, until your face doesn't really turn, uh, but you can continue to put regulations on these things and try to present more control frameworks and everything to it. But when you look at what is the incentive for this, for that organization, sometimes they're not gonna move until they are actually hurt. And that hurt could be from lawsuit, from loss of customers, from, uh, you know, regulatory compliance and, 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 and hits to the brand, but we've been saying that for years, right? Uh, Home Depot's still in business, right? Best Buy's still in business, Target's still in business, right? All these organizations that have had massive data leaks and stuff too, even including our government, you know, OPM and stuff too from there, right? Massive data leaks, you know, 500 million people and stuff too who've had their data breached and stuff from there. But, you know, from, you know, from that, what's really come out the back end of it? Regulation, right? We've put more regulation on it. We've added certifications and everything else to it, but this will continue to happen. So the emphasis to look at if you are leading a global organization is that you have an understanding and you see each and every day what are the risks to your organization and that you are taking proper precautions to do that. And proper precautions saying that the organization is not just saying, look, this one guy in our organization or one lady in our organization is in charge of security and everything rests on their shoulders. That's not it. Because that one person, a CISO or uh, director of security or however way you wanna frame that, right? Typically do not have financial responsibility, right, for that organization. Those decisions are made at the board level. Those are made at the other C-suite levels of 
look, we're going to give you this amount of money. You need to make this work, right? We're going to give you this amount of people. You need to make this work. It is a full out organizational decision, right? And then the other part is, is that this is still free enterprise. It is a still a free enterprise and a free endeavor, right? For that company to make decisions that are in the best interest of its consumers and in the best interest of itself and its shareholders. That is still the driver. Now, who has really the power for, to, to really control companies in that way? It is the consumer. It is the consumer of the services. It is the customers of that organization. That's who really holds the power, right? Um, there is a fantastic article on this um, that the New York Times uh, published on September 26, 2022. The article is called The Uber Hack Exposes More Than Failed Data Security. It's by Bruce Schneier. I hope I said his name correctly, uh, who is a security technologist and the author of 14 books, including the forthcoming A Hacker's Mind, uh, How the Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. I feel like it's probably one of the best articles I've read um, when it comes to this, because the approach that's taken in this article is both informative, but also explores some of the different conflicting means and stuff that's out there. You know, even going a little bit into the, uh, you know, the, the, the Twitter hack a couple of years ago too, right? And the, the security chief there. Huge shifts, right? Let's talk about huge shifts in an organization's security practices. Organizations do not change on security until, until there is the threat of losing customers, the threat of being able to operate, the threat of not being able to achieve the revenue that they need. Period, plain and simple. I've worked with many Fortune 500, 2000, 1000 companies and organizations with very strong um, security practitioners and leadership that's there. And the thing that catches you off guard the most, and every time, it shouldn't really catch me off guard, it's really something that's very much you know, clear, is that the CISO is usually in a position to have to beg for money. Yeah, they write business cases, they put those down, and then basically what you see every time is that when it comes down to overall budget, capital expenditure, and operating budget, there's almost this huge focus on, well, can we etch a little bit more off the security budget? Can we etch a little bit more off of that? Well, we want to put in this new widget, right, for our organization that's going to uh, help us continue to, to grow and to scale and to expand. But, you know, that, that security piece, let's, let's take a little bit off of that. That conversation and that interaction does not change until there is a threat, right? It does not change until there is a threat that is so measurable and so clear that they're getting ready to lose customers or lose the ability to operate, which would cost them millions or even billions or so of dollars. Um, that's what moves them forward. That's what really moves those organizations forward. 
So until regulation actually translates into that and someone says, hey, you're not going to be able to conduct business, period. Well, guess what? Those activities are not going to change. Those, the current status quo of large organizations that may have the budget to do these types of things, but won't commit it, it's not going to change until you have that, until it has teeth, right? That's what we like to say in industry, until regulatory and compliance, or until someone takes the frontal assault as far as on our organizations and say that, look, you will not be able to operate unless you put in these practices, have these capabilities in place, are uh, these controls, and can absolutely continue to report on these accurately. Until someone says that, with the ability or with the leverage to do so, those activities will not change. I cannot tell you how many times I've finished up a report at the end of an assessment, and we do a roadmap and strategy, right, with pricing for different work packages that need to happen within a, you know, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, two-year, five-year roadmap and plan. And you move that forward into the C-suite to see if you can get funding for these things or outlay funding uh, for these efforts. And it is just thrown to the wind. Or you do this under one regime, then you have a change and then you got to revisit it. And they go, well, that's not important to us right now. What's important is that we need to continue to really um, you know, address what our consumers and what our customers really want. So if the customers and the consumers don't really want you to have more security because they do not express that through their behavior in terms of still buying your service because of the status quo, then the company is not going to do that. So to my industry, to my, you know, to my colleagues, to uh, those who are customers in this industry, you really are the one that holds the power for these organizations that drives these organizations to make decisions, right? Stockholders, you drive that decisioning. So when stockholders and customers look at these breaches as being absolutely material to their existence and to their safety and to their wants and needs, we're going to stay just like this. It was going to have a breach. We're going to talk about it really by a ton, right, for the next month. And then by the time we get to November and we get to Black Friday, this is going to be just a whisper on the winds. And that's it. Anything else that happens after it, the news cycle is going to move on and we're going to move to the next and probably have the same conversation about some other large company. The dovetail for security and usually what we tend to really concentrate on is personal data privacy. How does this breach affect us from a personal data privacy standpoint? Now, in the United States, you have different laws across different states regarding personal data privacy. When you talk about the EU and countries there, you have GDPR um, for personal data and privacy. But what really is our sensitivity to this? We're so used now to hearing that our data has been breached and possibly there that uh, at the end, 
we have this thing where we just say, you know what, let's buy some credit monitoring and, you know, some title monitoring for ourselves and uh, voila, there we go. You know what, I'm taken care of. If I don't get an alert, I'm not going to really care about it, right? That's where we stand. We're going to get credit and data monitoring, right, and personal data monitoring. And basically, we, we, we feel safe and secure at that point in time because we're like, hey, we've accepted the fact that our data is going to be breached, but here's how we know if we really, really, if somebody's going to really, really, really use it. So that's the comfort. So when we talk about, you know, what are the incentives for companies to really protect this data? There's not really a, a huge incentive there because customers and stockholders are still going to behave the same. They're still going to behave the same. So in this article that I was talking about from the New York Times, right, one of the really kind of important and poignant uh, uh, paragraphs in here reads this. It says, last week's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing protecting Americans' private information from hostile foreign powers further highlighted that personal data privacy is now a matter of national security. And while regulation isn't a panacea, nothing is in the world of security. It will serve to align corporate incentives with our broader societal goals. It will keep us all safer against both hackers and foreign governments. Until we as consumers actually feel the heat, which I can tell you right now, I know that my personal data has been breached. I know that for sure. I know that my, my, my data, my kids, my wife, that data has all been shared around. It's, it's, it's out there, right? It's out there on the dark web. It's out there being bought and sold every, every single day. It's there. And the company or organization that had that data right now is no longer in the, in the news cycle, right? It, it's all gone. Anything that happened in 2016, 2017, basically, it's not even a news cycle anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't even happen. The regimes in those companies are different right now. So there's no lingering effect and stuff for those companies. So again, it, companies respond to the market. Markets respond to the consumers that drive it. Markets respond to the providers that are in it. And until those are so heavy that one or the other is going to experience a huge, huge penalty or hit, you know, from, you know, activities of the provider not being able to provide what they have versus those who would be the consumer of it would stop consuming it. This does not stop. So join us on our next episode of the Lojo Show for this particular special report. We'll do another special report in a week and a in two weeks. And with that, we're going to go ahead and go into what can really be done as next steps on this. What's going on right now from a larger scale of both regulatory and compliance, orders that are there, and really the true threat to both your personal data, corporate data, and overall security and security posture. So with that, stay safe and stay secure. Thanks.